you hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Welcome back to another episode of Queer Money. Today we're featuring another amazing LGBTQ person. Terry Eaton is the founder, president, and chief curator of Eaton Fine Art. Terry and his team have been collaborating on art programs for some of the world's most popular hotel brands for over 25 years, infusing a creative soul into guest rooms and public spaces alike. You've seen Terry's work in the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas, the Palace Hotel in San Francisco, and the Four Seasons Los Angeles at Beverly Hills, just to name a few. As you know, we love LGBTQ entrepreneurs on Queer Money, and that's why we're hosting Terry today. Terry merged his childhood love of art with his entrepreneurial spirit to found his Austin-based firm. Get ready for an inspiring interview. But before we get started, I want to let you know that today's episode of Queer Money is being brought to you by the Debt Free Guys Budget Buster Bundle. If you find that you have more month left over at the end of your money, or you can't find the budget that works for you, try our dynamic budget that we walk you through step-by-step in the Budget Buster Bundle. A recent student of the bundle said, your Budget Buster Bundle course made a huge impact on me. I've taken numerous courses in financing and budgeting, and have always been able to find a little bit of something from each, but your course has provided me with huge boulders of information to help my family get our finances in order. Get more information about the Budget Buster Bundle at debtfreeguys.com forward slash 146. Now, on with the show. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. So welcome, Terry Eaton, to Queer Money. We're excited to have you. Thank you, John and David. It's great to be with y'all. Absolutely. You. So you're a fine arts curator. What does that mean exactly? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a really good question. What does it mean? I have the privilege to collaborate with an amazing team at Eaton Fine Art, a team of art curators and a production team. And we curate art programs for mostly hospitality projects throughout the country or internationally. And we also do some work frankly, mostly pro bono, for different healthcare facilities that might be of benefit to the lesbian, gay, transgender, queer community. Nice. Got you. So then in preparation for this interview, it looks like you've worked partnered with some pretty prominent hotels, uh, Cosmopolitan and Bellagio in Las Vegas. You've done W's and Ritz-Carlton's. So they come to you and say, we're updating our hotel or we're building a new hotel. Can you help us out with the art pieces that we include in that? That's right. Either the hotels come to us or we are brought in by an interior design firm or an owner group, as we have been on several of those projects that you mentioned. So it's really a joy and a privilege to collaborate with our clients, be it the interior designer, the hotel owner, or the hotel itself, on the art and or accessories for that project. So we're a team member along with an interior designer, lighting consultant, etc. And our niche, if you will, is the creative elements. So the wall art, the accessories, and that's what we curate and create. Thank you, Terry. So could, for our audience, could you share, like, what is the, what does a day-to-day of your life look like? Um, what, what's that old line from Marty Feldman, Abby Normal? <laughs> <laughs> there, there's not a normal day in my life as the art curator in person, uh, along with our team at Eden Fine Art. But it, it ranges. It, I'm in the office. It is collaborating with our teams, both either the creative curators and or the production team on all of the various projects that we're working on. 
when I travel, and I travel a lot throughout the country. I have client meetings. I have um, always take extra time, and I'm going to museums and art galleries, just kind of you know looking at, uh, keeping my eyes open for anything that might inspire me. Um, and then there's, um, I know it's a hard job, but somebody's got to do it, and that's <laughs> entertaining and taking clients out to great uh, restaurants and fun times in the night. Oh, that sounds rough. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Like, you know, it's a tough, tough job, but I'm, I'm here for the duty. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I'm sure that's not the way it's always been, right? You are the entrepreneur who created your Eaton Fine Arts. So this is, uh, this is probably the successful portion of uh, reaching this point in your life and your career and your business, right? That you are right. Yeah, it has not been quite so easy in the entire 27 years, but it's just based upon this passion and love for what we do and the people with whom we are blessed to work and collaborate with every day. Absolutely. Uh, so no, it, it didn't always wasn't always like that. There's been the times you know when I started when it was me working a couple extra jobs to make sure that. The company had a good financial footing, and we have certainly progressed a, and come a long way in our 27 years. Gotcha. I think it's good context for audience to have. Very often you see people in successful positions, and you think, oh, it's just roses and sunshine for them. You know, nothing hard comes their way. But I think for some additional context, you recently decorated the Cosmopolitan in Vegas, and that included 12,788 different pieces of art. I mean, that's a lot. <laughs> a lot of work. <laughs> that was a lot of work. And that was one of the larger projects that we've had the really joy and thrill to collaborate on. And we were actually on that for three and a half years. We were a team member and I was sitting there at the very large table with industry icons such as David Rockwell and Brad Friedmutter and different people, the marketing team at the Cosmopolitan. And we were all tasked with how to do the best of our abilities to make that project something that was a world-class, yet a different, not-seen-before resort on the Las Vegas Strip. Yeah. And um, it really was a joy. Not only were there those 12,788 pieces in the guest room, but there was almost 400 pieces that we curated and collaborated on in the public space. There was you know, just so many different aspects of that project. And... It really, I mean, I may still go back and I just look at it nine years later and I'm just amazed at what fun we had on it as a, as a team member of a very big team working all towards the client's goals. That's awesome. I, I love that. You know, you're at this point in your life where you clearly are now running a successful company and you have some of the uh, benefits of having worked hard. One of the things that often comes up, I think especially in the LGBT community, is that when someone reaches a certain level of success, and whether individuals have been maybe not aware of it or have ignored it, sometimes we get the pushback that, well, you've got this level of success, things must have been easy for you, or you are privileged. How do you respond to something like that? That's a good question, and as I kind of think back on it, I understand that sentiment from others, but our success is truly because of hard work and passion. We have always worked hard, and I've always had this inner belief 
that when I put my mind to something and I went for it, I was going to succeed at what I was doing. I did not come from a family with a business background. I did not come from parents who ran companies and therefore they gave me this company and said, here, go with it. I came from a loving family that supported me. When I was in my early teens and I wanted to start selling my little paintings and arts and crafts at the San Antonio Starving Artist Fair, (laughs) parents kind of looked at me. It's like, are you serious? And they said, yeah, I am. (laughs) And so they they let me. I remember my father setting up the little tables there on the San Antonio Riverwalk. And for a couple of years, I was selling my little things at the Starving Artist Fair. So I always came from that point of being surrounded by somebody who supported me in my creative endeavors, whatever those might be. You know, it, it is hard work and I, I enjoy hard work. That's not something that I shy away from, but I almost, you know, thrive upon uh, the challenges and the, the love of what we do and the passion behind it. I love that you say that because I think when you talk to almost every successful person, that's, some common traits that we see. They have a passion around it. They have the drive and they are committed. They they don't mind the hard work. They understand that the success doesn't come because it's easy. It comes because you put forth the effort and to achieve your goals. So I appreciate that. Yeah, I think it's very true. Passion goes so far. So I'd like to take a, a bit of a step back here. If I read correctly, it looks, sounds like your business card as early as the age of 13 read freelance artist. So you kind of had this, from a very young age, this entrepreneurial spirit. Where did that come from? That did not, as I mentioned, it did not come from a family background of you know business leaders. It came from, I think, more that supportive familial environment, go for what you want and be passionate about it. It came from my inner self and inner strength of understanding and realizing that what I would put my mind to and enhance where I needed to. For instance, I went to business school. Uh, I almost went to college for a graphic or an arts degree, but I thought, you know, someday, even I think I was 18, I knew I wanted to own my own business. So I figured I might as well get a business degree with more information with art as kind of my second part of my background. So it comes from, again, that inner desire of wanting to, to succeed and be passionate about it. So at eighteen, what does that what did that look like? I want to have my own business. What attracted you to that idea? I'm almost embarrassed to say that was so many years ago. I'm not too <laughs> sure what my thoughts were. Um, I think it really was just that sense that my father was a civil employee of the U.S. Air Force. You know, loved what he did, but I wanted to do something different. And I guess because I had found success and loved selling my little creations, I knew I would want to be my own businessman at some point. So my my path took me to business school. And then from there, I worked for different marketing firms, doing marketing and PR plans for both interior design and fashion industries. And it just took me on a continued kind of this creative path, but one which has led us to where we are today. And 27 years later, knock on wood, as they say, time flies when you're having fun. Right, exactly. <laughs> I think, first of all, it's great that you had the opportunity to taste it a little bit, to taste what it was like to be a business person or a, or a business owner at such a young age. I think that a, a lot of 
young people play that part. They don't actually go do it. They play it. You know, they'll they'll play mm-hmm. business or they'll dabble in it a little bit. So obviously you, you felt some drive there and some success. I'll say to you, as you're listening to this, if you find yourself in a similar situation that Terry was in, whether you're a teenager or you're who cares how old you are, if you've <laughs> dabbled in it a little bit, or if you think you might want to, that's kind of the way to get started to see if this is something worthwhile. You don't have to immediately jump into being a business owner and give up everything else. You can test it. And I think that's what one of the great things about living in the gig economy that we live in today. There are so many ways that you can test just you know, a couple of hours a week or maybe a, one day on the weekend to see if this is something that you want. I think that's very true. Yeah. So, but I think doing this kind of goes against the grain of especially what we're taught in in public school, right? You're supposed to go to school, get good grades, get a decent job with a secure retirement plan, and then ride that wave until it's retirement and die. <laughs> so, where did you get the belief that you could support yourself in this way? Because our our school system isn't necessarily designed to build entrepreneurs. Fortunately, I went to, at the time, one of the best business schools in the country, University of Texas, and I was surrounded by business leaders, and I went to so many educational seminars, and I was on the student council, and I met these business leaders, and I heard their stories, and their stories was about, you know, you try, you do it, you do your best, and sometimes you're going to fall flat on your face, but pick yourself back up and do it again. So that was always instilled not only in my teenage years is selling my little creations. If I didn't sell everything, then that was okay. But, you know, I tried it. So then it was further kind of emboldened by all of these phenomenal business leaders that I had the honor to really spend time with during my years at the University of Texas that continued to teach me to believe in yourself and go for it. You might fail, get back up and do it again. So I think that's, that's the spirit. You know, go for it, do it, be passionate about what you love. And if you need to reassess, and like you said, maybe you start on a couple of weekends, maybe you don't do it. You know, you have a part-time job and then you're starting your business. So there's so many different ways and manners in which they can happen. Yeah, I love that. Your advice there, I think one of the other things that really stands out is you surrounded yourself with the kinds of people that would either motivate you or be there for you in some manner. And more often than not, it seems like so many of us want to start out and go on a path on our own, but surrounding ourselves with people who can be supportive is one of the ways that we get through those ups and downs and can kind of keep it on an upward trajectory rather than just up and then down and and then giving up. (laughs) I think that's very true. Surround yourself by others who support you and surround yourself by others who do great at what they are, and they're passionate about what they do as well. I think one of the big successes of Eaton Fine Art is that everybody on our team within Eaton Fine Art, we share the same passion, we share share the same moral values and the same sense of integrity, and that goes a long way as a small and or as a large business. Right. So I think that's super important. So many in the LGBT community suffer, at least from the work that we do, can tell that they suffer from a lot of limiting beliefs about themselves and what they're worth. And a lot of that comes from challenges from from childhoods of not necessarily being accepted by our our peers or our family. Did you have any similar challenges to overcome? And if so, how did you overcome them? 
I did have similar challenges and not to give away my exact years, but, um, you know, 40, 50 years ago when I was growing up and in my, the years in which I was, you know, forming opinions, there wasn't any discussion about LGBTQ. It just wasn't, you know, I grew up in the, uh, I guess I was in high school in the late seventies and junior high prior to that. And I was bullied. I was made fun of because I liked to wear nice clothes and I had this, I guess, design sense about me. So I, I was bullied. I was called names. And as far as family, my family was always very supportive. So I was very blessed by that. The one time I remember I would actually go to my grandmother's one or two weekends a month and I would sew and I would make all of these little fun things on her sewing machine. And I remember one time my father and mother were having a conversation, and my my mother said, "Well, you know, I don't know that Terry should be sewing. You know, that's not that's not sports. That's not the most masculine thing." <laughs> and my mother just looked at him and said, "Why should we stop? He might be the next Calvin Klein or <laughs> famous fashion person. Why do we want to squelch that?" That's so awesome. again, yeah, it goes back to that sense of family support. And my father said, "You know, you're right." So, you know, they, they were both very, very supportive and they were always extremely supportive of when I and my husband and I started our business. I do find it sad that there continue to be family members that are not as supportive. I totally disagree with the cultural language at times when people say, oh, well, you know, kids are just kids and they're going to bully each other. I think that's really unfortunate. I think bullies need to stop. I think bullying, whatever its form needs to not to continue. And I, I just, cause it does harm so many of our self worths and what we think of ourselves. So for someone who's still struggling to overcome that from your experience, do you have any advice on, on how to put that sort of bullying that experience behind them so they can reach for and aspire towards better things? I think my advice on that, and it comes from reflection of my own life is don't let it get you down. In a way, one almost needs to embrace your uniqueness, embrace your creativity in whatever form that is. To conform to someone else's view of you, I find is more challenging and more difficult than being self-understanding of what you are and who you are and embracing that. It's not always the easiest road, but it is the most truest and authentic road. And that's certainly what I have what I have done and what I advise and counsel other youth and or others when they may be having problems is let it roll off your shoulders. You know, don't, don't let it bother you. You know, they have their own issues. You can't take upon their problems as your problems. Right. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I always like to use the analogy of, uh, of a sapling or a plant that if a plant never faced any wind and it grew, it would grow very weak. It would, it, then it, it faces the first bit of wind and it gets blown right over or, or the sapling gets snapped. And uh, as long as we can face those challenges and figure out how, it's not always easy, but we can figure out how can I learn and ma- become stronger from this challenge, then we get to a point where we can withstand, as we, especially as we age, we can withstand. And then that's when we really start to blossom. We start to be able to 
help others that maybe are facing a same situation or prove to others who were a part of that challenge that their challenge did not overcome me. Right. Yeah, it is so true. And I, what's the cliche? It gets better. Right. Uh, it, it really does. I think, you know, it, it is a little more challenging to grasp that. Certainly in my years of youth, I have to say that so many of the youth in today's era, they grew up with LGBTQ being part of life. I didn't. My my contemporaries, you know, we didn't have that part of life. We had to be closeted or else we might be, you know, frowned upon, made fun of, discriminated against, bullied, or worse. So it's really, you know, uh, understanding that you are who you are and Go forth and love that, and don't let others affect your life. Here, here, take that home. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. So, yeah, you described that you went to school for business and art, and you're now the owner of an art curating company. So, one would assume you're obviously doing what you initially intended on doing, but I can't imagine that there weren't some hard knocks there along the way. What were the steps? What was the experience like between graduation from college and starting your own business? How did you get to the point where you felt comfortable enough to be able to start your own business? The steps were many steps between college and starting our own business or my own business. I did, as I mentioned, work for other people. I worked for marketing PR firms. I worked for a furniture manufacturer for a short time. Right out of college, I actually with a marketing degree, one went into sales. So I sold office equipment. And I quickly realized selling office equipment was not my calling. That's just not, <laughs> you know, I wasn't going to be a, I didn't want to own my own office equipment sales agency. That wasn't where I was at it. Right. So, you know, I started on that more creative path of working with the marketing firms or working with a manufacturer that did furniture. And you know, we started catering towards the hotel industry. And then when I started eating fine art, it was not all easy at the beginning. I, I don't know that I've spoken to any business owner, small business or large, that says it was just easy and things flowed from the very first day. It's hard work and you work long hours and you have to really have that inner sense of you're going to do this. You can make this. Over the 27 years, sure, there's been a lot of hard times. They do not in any way damper my spirit or nor Eaton Fine Arts spirit. You know, the tough times are when the economy goes to tank and your business just isn't as as rich as it was in one time in a number of projects. So we had to let employees go. And as a small business, we really view and find our employees, our family members as well. So it's hard when you have to kind of turn to a family member, if you will, and say, you know, I'm sorry, we don't have enough business. We've been fortunate that only happened once in our 27 years. And, you know, we almost, uh, I think part of it also is looking at a challenge as a challenge to, to overcome and a hurdle to jump and excel at, not to be looked at as, oh my gosh, we cannot do this. Mm-hmm. The word no is not very big in my vocabulary. <laughs> nice. So I don't tell a client or team members no. I say we'll we'll do this and we'll figure out how to do this and the best way to do this. Um, so I, I'm, I'm a very positive, focused person. Got you. So what was that moment like when you finally decided that, yes, you're going to branch out on your own and, and start your own business? Was there fear? Was there excitement? Was there 
were people telling you you shouldn't do it? You know, what was that like moment like, and how did you take the next step forward? That first moment of starting our business was one with trepidation, one with, I think I can do this, but I think I'm crazy. I'm sure similar thoughts to where a lot of entrepreneurs as they start small businesses, you know, I bet Hewlett and Packard and or Steve Jobs and or Bill Gates and all of their garages because they all started in garages. You know, we all had this idea that we're going to start small. I started my now our business in one of the rooms in a flat room. Robert and I lived in San Francisco. <laughs> the garage was a little cold. You know, San Francisco. <laughs> I didn't want to be in the garage all day long, so I couldn't follow in those footsteps of Hewlett and Packard. But yeah, it, it was those scary times. And I was always rooted in this understanding that it was what I was supposed to do. I'm a fairly driven individual and I have the drive to do this and to make it work. So that's a blessing. I was going to say blessing and a curse, but there's no curse about it. <laughs> nice. If you're going to start your own business, you better have drive. Right. right. So I love the, the picture of you in your apartment in San Francisco starting your business, um, especially because we interviewed Tim Gill several months back. Um, he's the founder of Quark and one of the largest donors to LGBTQ causes in history. And he started his business in, I think he had a two-bedroom apartment and right. one of the bedrooms uh, was supposed to be the office, and then eventually his whole apartment was his office and bedroom. <laughs> so, yeah. what, what um, can you kind of provide a little bit of a color around that experience starting out in your apartment? It was, and what an interesting analogy. Thank you for including me within that amazing company that you just did. Robert and I did have a a flat in San Francisco, and one of the back rooms was kind of. It became our office, my office, and I did travel at that time also, not nearly as much as I did now. But yeah, like so many stories, you know, like you said, he started in his apartment and then it had to grow. Well, we started in that apartment and then we bought a four-bedroom condominium where two of the bedrooms were offices. Then we outgrew that and then we bought a two-flat building and one of the flats was the office. We outgrew that <laughs> and we bought an artist live-work loft in downtown San Francisco, and that's where our office was. We lived in another part of the city. When we moved to Austin, after being in an office park for several years, we looked around and we wanted to buy a building and move our office into the building. And we ended up actually building our office 11 years ago this past July, mm -hmm. along with our feng shui, wonderful friend and feng shui master out of Berkeley, California. And the office 11 years later feels so amazing it is filled with light it is filled with good energy <laughs> nice so we built we built our office 11 years ago nice quite a transformation absolutely yeah i think if i remember correctly from that interview at one point tim had 13 people working in his apartment with right. him right so. a two-bedroom apartment 13 people were working <laughs> it was a little there. cramped but i love the i love it because you know very often you see successful people and you think oh i wish i could be like that oh how did they get there and i think it's important to remind ourselves that for most people who are successful they didn't just get born into it right there's you know hurdles and challenges and persistence that's required it, it comes you know it's typically a lifetime of labor and it wasn't just a, a gift handed to them in most cases so i think it's important to remind ourselves that it doesn't necessarily come easy to everybody yeah and that's very true it is a lifetime of labor and it's a lifetime of love for what you are doing and the belief in what you were doing as, as tim and so many others would uh, definitely agree 
I can't imagine that it wouldn't be this case, but every time you went from one location to another and you saw your business growing, that's just the reward and the excitement around all of the previous years of hard work, right? It just, you see this as a, that we are taking the next step towards success of where we want to be or just following that in that next progress. And it's exciting to see that and feel that, that that's what you're creating and you're the owner of. It really is. It is very exciting. And it goes back to, you know, those, those funny moments in life. You briefly mentioned earlier the Bellagio project, which we did in Las Vegas. We had the joy when they added the 1200 room tower quite a few years ago, 10, gosh, probably 16 years ago, um, to curate and produce all of the artwork for the 880 existing rooms plus the 1200 new rooms. And this goes back to, you know, my, uh, our earlier conversations, John and David, of, believing in yourself and believing what you can do. Robert grew up in Oklahoma City, and he was taking an art class one time, I think in junior high school, and the art teacher asked him what he wanted to do. And he said, I really love art. I'd like to sell art. And she said, you can't do that. You can't make a living at that. You probably want to be like an accountant or, you know, <laughs> something like that, which blows my mind coming from an art teacher. Right. But when we got the purchase order for the 2,200-room Bellagio project, Robert's first statement was, I wish I could find that art teacher. That <laughs> I bet. <laughs> That's, isn't it so important that we are going to often, as we progress in our career, or even when we're first starting out, we're going to hear a lot of people discount our dreams. And we mm -hmm. can't ever buy into those. We can't ever buy. Now, honestly, we sometimes have to take a logical look at what they're saying. Maybe they are warning us about something. But if they're putting our dreams down, then we need to discard that and, and move on to someone who would be supportive. <laughs> right. It's back to what both of you said earlier, surrounding yourselves by and with people who do support you and who love you for what you want to do. And I think that's, you know, that's really important as the LGBT community as a whole. If your friends are making fun of you or if your family is just always saying that you're wrong and you're bad and this or the that, change the dynamic. Change it to one of love and understanding and embracing. Right. You know, it, I, I'm glad you brought that point up of surrounding yourself with uh, with the people who are supportive, uh, especially in the LGBT community. The first time that we were introduced to you or, or aware of of Eaton Fine Arts was at the boot camp at the NGLCC conference this past August, and. So it, it's clear that even today, you're trying to surround yourself with other people, like-minded people who can be supportive. So you recently became a certified LGBTBE. -E. <laughs> I know the, the string of letters there is just as long as all alphabet soup. <laughs> right. Um, so you're a certified business enterprise. Why did you do that or what value did that add to you? I was in, this was your first year too at the leadership conference. Is that right? Yes. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, it was so inspiring. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Talk about motivating. I became more aware of the NGLCC um, by an industry friend and colleague of mine, this gay gentleman in Los Angeles, Las Vegas, who owns a business. And he figured as long as we'd been in business and knowing that we're owned by two gay men, we had to be certified. And I said, no, but uh, tell me more about it. So I did the research. And yes, we became certified as well. 
So we're thrilled to be a minority business enterprise. And I really did it for several reasons. Number one, to to embrace that sense of community. Um, but as I'm sure y'all walked away from that leadership conference, I was so empowered and amazed and in awe of the corporate leaders from throughout the world who have these supplier and diversity initiatives and huge initiatives to support the LGBTQ community and businesses. So it was really, it was just like a big warm hug for four days. And we're thrilled to be part of it. Small world, I met a gentleman there who, um, Logan Without Branding is the name of his company, happens to live in Austin, Texas also. And uh, about the past hour, he has been at our office at Eaton Fine Art, and we're trying to move all of our branding, marketing material over to Logan oh, nice. to, to support other minority business enterprises in, in GLCC. That's awesome. So, yeah, it's a sense of you know giving back and being part of. Definitely. Well, we know that a lot of other communities kind of do something similar. You know, often we've oftentimes seen either religious sects or racial communities that stick together and they 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 support each other in business. And so we should be doing the same, right? We should be supporting our brothers and sisters in our LGBT community so that we as a community can be financially strong. I think that's very true. And, you know, we, we certainly embrace that as well. I think y'all probably heard the statistic too. What is it? $1.7 trillion buying power worldwide. Right. LGBT community. That's crazy. That's a lot of dollars. <laughs> yeah. It it's is. a lot of influence if we spend right. it right. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. So I think to the, to the point of surrounding yourself with other like-minded successful people, I think, you know, Justin and Chance with the creation of N the NGLCC have created systems that make it easier. F I, I don't want to say easy, but make it easier for LGBT businesses to grow and to connect with the right people and not only to be able to improve their business, but then also offer the opportunity to help somebody else grow theirs, just as it sounds like you're doing with Logan Branding. And I think that's awesome what those two gentlemen have done with this organization, which has worldwide chapters. It was so exciting to see, what, 15 countries, 13 countries represented there? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think it's, I think it's, it's phenomenal. Yes. So... What's most important from your perspective with not only being a business leader in general, but uh, with being a queer business leader? And the reason I ask this question is David and I think it's important for more LGBT people to strive for positions of leadership. If for no other reason, then it gives us sort of a seat at the table to guide what diversity and inclusion look like. From your perspective, what's important about being a business leader and a queer business leader specifically? I don't think there's one issue that I can really point at as far as, you know, one aspect of being a business leader that's important. I think it's being at the table, as you said, and to use that particular word, but to be at the table and to be present. And it's not that I wear my gay hat on my sleeve or on my head, even though I do wear a lot of fedoras, <laughs> but, but it's really, you know, it's being there and it's being authentic to yourself and to who you are. And I, you know, candidly, I don't think there's any doubt in this industry that I am a gay man. I've been saying for seven years since Robert and I got married here in New York that, you know, my husband, my husband this, my husband that. I have the joy to have, uh, this past September, we celebrated 35 years together as a couple and 27 years as business owners. 
Nice. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Time does go by. (laughs) It does. (laughs) But as far as, you know, being a business leader, it's just helping others to realize their dreams as well. So it's that sense of passing on and building others within their own self-worth and their their abilities to do things that they may want to be, be that as a game man or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's, you know, we're, we're all leaders or we're all business owners. doesn't matter the color of our skin or whether we're gay, lesbian, transgender. We all have the similar thoughts and abilities to affect change and to help those with others. You know, it just happens to be because Robert and I are gay, we do donate and provide a lot to organizations that enhance the lives of not only gays, but many people within the Austin area community. We have donated our programs and um, a lot of different things for many different organizations, which, you know, tug at our hearts uh, that are providing for the greater HIV community throughout Austin in many different ways and other organizations that we continue to, you know, have at our hearts. Mm -hmm. So that's, that to me is one of the joys of being a business leader and a successful business person is to be able to give back to the community and to help those. And specifically, you know, the medical clinic that we just donated all of the artwork, I really wanted the people to go in and not feel like they were in a medical clinic, but to feel like they were loved and they, they felt cared for by this amazing curated art program, which is unlike most others you would see in medical facilities. But we wanted to give them that hug and that embrace. So I, I think that's one of the, the biggest joys about the success of which we've been blessed with is being able to give back. I love that. Yes, thank you very much for bringing that up. I, you know, that's was part of the foundational reason why John and I became business owners is because we wanted to give back to our community. And I love the fact that you're talking here about how when we work hard and we have that level of success, there's multiple ways that we can give back. When we're struggling financially and we are stressed out about where we are at in life because we're not making progress, we don't have time energy or money to give back to our community. Oftentimes it put we're in a situation where we're looking for support and help ourselves. And so it's I, I love hearing that that's something that you're committed to doing. And again, that it's not just a, a financial way or just being an activist. There's so many ways that we can give back to our community, especially as business leaders. Uh, and I really appreciate that. Yes, I think it is a, a huge joy for us. So I want to tack just a little bit here, because um, it's not just about taking care of our community and our business. We like to ask this question of business leaders, successful people, about what are your daily practices for staying centered and focused? I know you obviously designed this beautiful building, and it has a feng shui aspect to it, so obviously that's important to you. So what do you do on a regular basis to stay grounded and, and centered? I do any number of things which I've done for a long time. That is, start my morning at the gym. Uh, I'm an avid gym person. So I start the morning at the gym. It's a great way to start my day, kind of energize my day. I'm always looking at, you know, my Instagram account and seeing what our clients and friends across the country are doing or thinking or posting. I go through the newspapers and different sites that I look for to see what's going on in the world, be it exciting or not. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I, I love traveling. It keeps me 
kind of on that pulse of what's going on. So as I travel, I'm always, you know, again, keeping my eyes open and looking at what's going on in any different environments. Yeah, I bet traveling the world with an art curator has got to be fascinating. <laughs> really showing me things I probably never would right. see if I was staring at them. Yeah, pretty fun. You know, I love Instagram because it's kind of my storybook of, you know, Terry's life. I started tagging a long time ago. Where's Terry? It's not where's Waldo. It's where's Terry. <laughs> well, um, and I love that you bring that up because very often, you know, social media gets sort of a bad rap and that, you know, we say that kids are wasting their time on social media or that, you know, people who get sucked into social media have a higher level of depression. But it sounds like you're using that to inspire you for your business. I do. Yeah. I don't, I'm not on very many uh, social media apps. Like I said, I'm on uh, Instagram, so that's the only one I am on. And I do, I use it as an inspiration. I use it to keep in touch with friends of mine all over the world, as many do on other social media sites. But I do. I, I mentioned before, I'm a foodie, so I look at food, I look at design, I look at travel. And, you know, I follow almost all the major museums throughout the world. It's fascinating. I follow architecture and archaeology and design and all type of things. So it's not that I'm, you know, just flippantly wasting time. It's everything that I'm passionate about. It's all a big circle. Mm -hmm. The circle of love, the circle of life. Mm -hmm. Nice. I love it. So are there any big, exciting projects that you'd like to share with our listeners that you're currently working on or that are coming up? We do have a lot of projects, and that, that is exciting. Since I am right here in New York City, we're currently producing guest room artwork for the almost 2,000 guest rooms at the New York Marriott Marquis. Wow. Wow. We had the joy to produce and curate artwork for the Rosewood Bahamar down in Bahamas, a beautiful five-star resort. And we're in production on the next phase, which is the villas at the Bahamar. And we're working on a lot of different projects. I think we have over almost 130 projects on the board right now throughout the country and throughout the Caribbean. We did a number of things in Canada over the past couple of years as well. So yeah, it's exciting. There's a lot of, a lot of really phenomenal projects that we're curating and having a blast on right now. So I don't know if this is an actual job, but if you need anybody to go and inspect the work after it's done, let me and David know. We're happy to work with you. <laughs> John, John is so nice because I know with your busy schedule, that would really be a challenge. But I, I, would, I would be happy to let you inspect art with me the next time. I <laughs> if we have to go to the Bahamas, I'll do it. <laughs> um, and then how can our listeners um, keep track of you and everything that Eaton Fine Arts is doing? Well, as I mentioned, we are on social media. So on both Facebook and on Instagram, it is Eaton Fine Art. And our website is EatonFineArt.com. And then my crazy little Instagram is actually Artie, A-R-T-I-E underscore E-F-A. That's where I bounce around the country and look for fun things. Gotcha. We'll bounce around the world. <laughs> nice. We'll definitely be following you ourselves. So. Yep. And we'll link to those uh, in the show notes. Great. Thank you so much. Sure. And then any last thoughts that you want to share with our listeners about career, success, eat and fine arts? Wow, that's an open one. <laughs> <laughs> the platform is yours. <laughs> I know, really. Thank you so much. Well, first, both, both of you, thank you so much for the conversation today. I've really enjoyed it, and I, I love what you all do. Um, I think the more we can empower the LGBT community, the more exciting it is for all of us. And it goes back to, you know, kind of one of my overriding thoughts right now. And it goes back to what we were saying as far as bullying and empowering each other is that I think we have lost this sense of humanness. And we've lost this sense of understanding that we're all humans. 
that whatever we do or whomever we love or whatever our skin color might be, at the end of the day, we're all humans, but yet we're being divided and we're being attacked and we're being separated in so many different ways that we just need to kind of step back and realize that we're all in this together. We're all in this to, you know, help each other succeed and not to help each other divide and be divisive about it. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's it's a great yeah. note to close on. And thank you for your kind words about what we're doing. We couldn't do what we're doing if it wasn't for people like you donating your time, expertise to our platform. So thank you so much. Well, thank you, John and David. I appreciate it. Look forward to meeting y'all soon. Thank you, Terry, for sharing your inspiring story. To our listeners, you'll notice that there wasn't necessarily a direct and clear path for Terry's success. He focused on what was important to him, and he tacked, like the captain of a boat, as needed to continue to move toward his goal. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo, or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk, and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour, or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.